The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber and recorded at Dolphin Image Studios here in Winter Haven. Our producer from Dolphin Image Studios is Joe. Hey, Joe, tell our listeners a little bit about the studios. Thanks, Katie. At Dolphin Image Studios, we are a full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000-square-foot soundstage, a psych wall, an LED wall, a podcast studio, and a massive eight-acre backlot for all of your filming needs. To find us, go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios or find us on Instagram at Dolphin Image Studios. Today we have with us the dynamic city manager for the city of Winter Haven, Mr. Mike Herr. Buckle up. Mike has so much passion for the city and for good government operations providing excellent customer service and a return on investment for the taxpayers. We also speak with Dr. Paul Williams of Advent Health, who is going to speak to us today about the importance of getting your mammogram. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of local businesses in the Winter Haven community, including our presenting sponsor, Fred Simons Insurance Agency. That's right. There's a new farmer's insurance agent in your neighborhood. Meet Fred Simons with the Fred Simons Insurance Agency located at 325 Avenue C Southwest, Winter Haven, Florida. As the road you travel changes, so can your insurance needs. Give Fred Simons a call today at 863-259-1826 so he can help you as you assess whether you're ready for the journey ahead. That's Farmers Insurance Agent Fred Simons at 863-259-1826. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges, and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Mike Herr joined the city of Winter Haven in June 2017. You'll hear more about the journey that brought him to our community today, but since his arrival, the accomplishments of the city government as an organization have been outstanding. He has built an environment at the city focused on, quote, how do I get to a yes? And constantly asking, are we providing the best possible customer service to our citizens? He's pushed his team to think critically with an eye towards constant improvement. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Katie. It's good to be here this morning with you. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself personally. Where'd you grow up and how'd you end up in Florida? Well, thank you. The, uh, I ended up in Florida because the um, working in local government really came as it's no surprise if you know my background. My, my mother was an elected office holder uh, serving our city as the assessor, which is the appraiser in Florida. Mm. 
from 1966 to 1983. The, uh, <clears throat> my, my father passed away when, when I was seven years old. And so <clears throat> my mother having a background uh, working for an assessor in a county to the north, uh, thus while my, my parents were, I guess, getting to know each other and before they got married, uh, she called upon that experience and then started working for the appraiser uh, as what they called the first deputy, which is really the office manager mm-hmm. uh, in 19, eh, probably 1962. Uh, and so the, uh, an opening became available. And so she uh, sought the, uh, the, her party's nomination. There were, as I recall at that time, there were four or five, people running against her as a winner-take-all primary, mm-hmm. and her, uh, she prevailed, uh, and then um, didn't receive any party, uh, uh, didn't receive any opposition from her party from that point forward, uh, and then, of course, uh, successfully uh, uh, re-elected. She uh, uh, served on uh, Governor Bowen's uh, Property Tax Reform Commission. Uh, she was the only female uh, that was appointed by the governor. Mm. Uh, he was a Republican governor, and quite frankly, uh, she was the only Democrat. And oh, wow. so um, <clears throat> I think that spoke highly of her credentials and her dedication uh, to her profession. Uh, she she really loved that job. Uh, and then um, the uh, her brother, which uh, who was, was my uncle, uh, he had uh, he was a lawyer and and uh, had served as prosecutor and uh, a state senator in the uh, county to the north of us. And then he became uh, essentially a lawyer for the United Mine Workers. Hmm. And so he had quite a bit of impact on me. Uh, and so growing up, I spent a lot of time uh, in uh, the home county uh, where he's from, uh, aunts and uncles and cousins and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's really the, uh, and then, you know, I guess in a really small way, uh, the, uh, I ran for student council president when I was a junior, and I ended up winning. And so, consequently, um, I think a big impact. Uh, I I chose uh, social studies as my major, and I had a chance to, to be a, an intern at a leg- at state legislature, working for the state senator from our our uh, our state senate district. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I went to went to the Indianapolis for you know like six weeks. And served an internship, and I learned a lot. Uh, and so I went. Then <clears throat> I went back home for the summer, and I had worked in the congressional race uh, for Philip Hayes. He won, and then I went to Evansville to work in his district office. And mm-hmm. so I had a chance to drive around all the post offices and address all the citizens. And one of the things that I was tasked with, which I learned a great deal from, was paying attention. I paid attention to the federal revenue stream. And I got to know all of the mayors in the small, in the towns and cities that made up our the 8th congressional district and met them, you know, got them introduced to federal, federal grants and things like that. So at a real young age, I learned that money trail. Mm-hmm. And then I became town, I became town manager of Newburgh, Indiana. That's where my wife and I uh, uh, first lived there. And I worked there for about two and a half years. And I decided Indiana primarily is a strong mayor structure. Um, there are town managers around the around the state, so the professional the profession of council manager is starting to get better. And I thought it best. Uh, I mean, I could have gone to Kentucky. Kentucky 
uh, is a state that recognizes the uh, council manager form of government. But mm-hmm. the, uh, we chose Florida, and uh, I took the first job coming in as town manager of Dundee from 80 to 85. And what did I do? Well, I worked the money trade and yeah. got a lot of federal grants in uh, for the city, and we built a lot of capital projects. And so it was fun. It was good duty. Uh, and so um, had a chance to, you know, to continue my path to being county manager in Polk County government, uh, working for the mayor of Tampa, Mayor Buckhorn, for a couple of years, and then coming back in this direction to be city manager of Winter Haven. Mm. So was uh, student council your last elected position? <laughs> you decided to go to the other side, not the elected side, but the uh, the public service side. <laughs> I decided to go to the public service side. I, <clears throat> you know, I've often looked back and said, gee, was that a good thing? And I, yeah, I think it was. I, I the, uh, it gets a little bit tough every now and then, but mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it. I mean, uh, you know, I could have, <clears throat> in Dundee, I, I, I guess what I saw was and we had a chance to, uh, take something and grow with it. So, mm-hmm. in a in a way, it was kind of like being a minister of a small church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so, a lot of mustard seeds there. If you plant them, they'll grow. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And so, when you, uh, as you outlined, when you arrived in Winter Haven, you already had a very accomplished career from leading the county to other cities to, um, you know, working in in Hillsborough. So. What attracted you to apply for the Winter Haven job when it became available? Well, the what attracted me, uh, first of all, I the, I came to Winter Haven with a unique perspective in the sense that while serving as county manager for seven years and the county's transportation director for five, I had a chance to work with all the cities in Polk County. And uh, Winter Haven uh, just kept coming back to me as really a crown jewel. The ecosystem in, in Winter Haven uh, has a very positive impact on our community. Uh, I think the lake, the chain of lakes really make our city. Uh, Winter Haven has quality neighborhoods. You have traditional neighborhoods and you have newer neighborhoods in the southeast. Uh, we have a, a fantastic um, downtown uh, downtown business district. So there, there are so many assets here. And what I read into the Winter Haven situation was somewhat of a mistrust, I think, between those who are employed to operate uh, city government and some of the city commissioners. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that, that this was a chance to come in, take a look at the team, and be able to say, all right, we're going to have to earn our trust. We don't have it. We have to earn it. Uh, and then... I think eventually uh, we were able to turn uh, that trust into confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I saw that as primarily uh, being the, the biggest challenge. I believe we have a very excellent team. Uh, we have men and women who are willing to think outside traditional boundaries to look at their business units in a different way, not traditionally. Uh, and so I think we have a very, very talented team. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, second to none. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's funny because you've you've been here so long in my mind. I know it's, it's just been a couple of years, but, um, you know, there was a little uh, kind of tumultuous atmosphere um, happening at the time um, that this 
uh, job became available. Um, and, you know, some people would be like, oh, you know, I don't really want to run towards that. But you said, no, I think I see something here and I see opportunity here. Um, was there anything that surprised you when you got to Winter Haven? You know, as you said, you knew a lot about the Winter Haven community from your time at the county. But when you started kind of working in the thick of, of the city government here in Winter Haven, was there anything that surprised you? Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, the city managers that served before me. The, uh, while, while serving as county manager, I got to work with uh, David Green for a long time. Uh, Neil Smith was his trusty assistant city manager, and, and they, made it, they made for a very good team. And so the, uh, they laid a foundation, and then we, uh, we continued that foundation through Dale Smith, uh, serving as city manager, uh, Derek Fiescher. Uh, city manager of Haines City, but previously serving as uh, a longtime assistant to the city manager, and then was promoted to city manager, and then our current assistant city manager, Michael Savrez. Um, those leaders uh, provided me with an extremely strong foundation, and plus our chief financial officer, uh, who has been with the city for a long time, the uh, he's really he's an expert. He knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think what surprised me was the basis for a lack of confidence and then secondly in the leadership days mm-hmm. and then secondly because i just didn't see things i didn't see things that way at all i, I really didn't uh, i saw a team that was maybe beat down a little bit but they they still felt very good about themselves but it was a chance to basically tell the city commission and the community hey we may not be perfect but you know what's all the fuss here Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we've maintained our team, and I'm glad to do so. Um, I didn't see anybody that, you know, needed to be booted out. Uh, not at all. And I think what surprised me, I don't think that surprised me, uh, but I think what surprised me was the strength of our community partners, mm-hmm. the uh, our chamber, uh, Main Street, uh, our Main Street programs, uh, headed by uh, Anita Strang, then, of course, uh, uh, Katie, uh, you heading the uh, chamber as the CEO and president, mm-hmm. and then Bruce Lyon is uh, heading up the Winter Haven ABC. The strength of those community partners have had a positive impact on driving the city mm-hmm. and moving it forward on many initiatives. Um, some communities, there tends to be you know friction um, and 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 maybe some jealousy, but but friction, um, friction generating from high ego mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times. I don't, I don't sense that. I, uh, what I sense are <clears throat> strong, e- strong egos that are uh, motivated uh, for positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that surprised me. That's not something you would, you would necessarily know. Now, uh, looking back to the city of Plant City, a city of 44,000, same size as Winter Haven, Plant City is a very, it's a, it's a community, I would call it, it's a patriarch community. Uh, and um, it is a community that is driven largely by historical personalities. Hmm. Uh, but conversely, it is also a community that was on the cusp of, of changing a great deal because there were, the average age in Plant City, which was a surprise to me, was 44 years of age. Huh. I, I wouldn't have thought that. No, I wouldn't have thought that either. Yeah. yeah, so it was, it was a little bit uh, very different from that standpoint. Uh, the chamber was was extremely traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, Main Street uh, struggled. Uh, 
non-existent. Main Street did not exist as a as a formidable program. Mm-hmm. And um, we were a member of the Tampa Hillsborough Economic Development Council. And basically, I went to the mayor and I said, Mayor, I said, the uh, who was very positive, one of the most positive leaders I've ever had the opportunity to work with, was Rick Lott. And he's still there. I mean, he served the community for a long time. Very positive. Um, so we weren't giving our money's worth by being part of a bigger umbrella. Mm-hmm. And I went to the mayor and I said, I think we should form the Plant City Economic Development Council. I presented my case to him and then presented it to the community. And the, fa- and the fact that it was created so quickly and that it was adopted and mm-hmm. welcomed shows you that the community was, was just reaching out and thirsting a great deal for that kind of progress. Mm-hmm. So um, that's an example of the community needing a different path. And right now, we're all part of a community that understands the direction the city is moving. And I think many, maybe at times we're frustrated because we haven't moved quick enough. But uh, I'll tell you, um, citywide, uh, inside city government, the uh, everybody feels the pinch. And uh, we behave like a community of 100,000. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's um, what's so integral to the community's success is that uh, from the city leadership to the community partners leadership and, and boards and members um, to our nonprofit world, everyone understands that uh, we are growing at such a pace. What is it? Uh, you know, between three and four percent every year. And we have to think long term because if we are reactive we are not going to develop and form in the way we want to. And we'll be looking back sometimes, which we do now, and say, well, why did they do it that way 25 years ago? You know, So trying to think how we can develop the community in a way in the areas that we do have any control over um, that we'll be happy with the decisions that we're making now, you know, 20 years from now. So what, what is your vision for the city government and the community as a whole? Well, thank you. That's a great question. The, uh, in 2017, the, uh, we brought together our leadership team, department directors, division directors, <clears throat> assistant city manager, and myself. And I thought it was, I thought it was an appropriate time. The, uh, growing, growing upon experience, uh, hopefully you always get better. The, um, I felt like I was three years in as county manager when I brought our leadership team, department directors and division directors together to develop a new mission statement, vision, a vision statement, and trying to develop some organizational values that we thought were important to demonstrate uh, and, in, and and try to integrate those values into our performances and our walk, walk the talk approach to try to uh, influence the men and women that do work for us every day. And I thought that I waited a little bit too long then. Mm. Uh, and so now I wanted to start off right off the bat. So I think it was, um, you know, maybe February of uh, January of 2018. I had started there in June of 2017. So we brought together our team. We used the facilitator, very talented. Uh, we developed a, a new mission statement, which says that in, our mission is uh, to provide a, uh, an enriching lifestyle uh, through exceptional service. Uh, and then our vision, which I think is very important, to be the best city through the relentless pursuit of excellence. And that means that we have to, we need to demonstrate that, that vision day in and day out. 
And so consequently, uh, then we've developed, I think, five organizational values. We call them the, uh, the I-5. Uh, and then uh, I challenged our, our team, and we challenged each other. Um, I mean, this, is a, this isn't a – we don't approach this from a top-down standpoint as much as we approach it in an integrated way. The, uh, I let the department directors challenge me, and then, of course, uh, you know, I push back with them as well. Mm-hmm. So very much two-way street. That's how I think you build a team. And so <clears throat> it isn't always what I think. We've got a very talented team, but if I don't give them an opportunity to contribute their ideas and have the freedom to execute those ideas, then I'm not going to be successful as a leader. They're not going to be. And so that's why we uh, – that's why – one of the things that I noticed about this team is they were willing, they're willing to accept ideas, they're willing to develop ideas, and they're willing to push back on me, and I'm willing to let them do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we developed a, a series of best practices. And so uh, I believe that I have shared that with you and also yes. Main, Main Street leaders and, and uh, Winter Haven EDC. Those best practices, I think, are important because I think it sends a message to our citizens and our businesses. Uh, that we're good stewards and that we're thinking uh, creatively and that, like the private sector, uh, we're we're using data as a basis to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, particularly in utilities, I tell you, I've always felt that utilities in Winter Haven, uh, that, was a very, that was a big bright spot. Uh, and so the, uh, we're fortunate to have uh, a very experienced leader in uh, Gary Hubbard as our utilities director. And you know, he's, he's taking us in directions uh, that we wanted to go, that we want to go. And Assistant City Manager Savarez and myself, we wanted somebody else at the podium with us talking about utilities and having the experience to stand in front of the city commission uh, and ratepayers to be able to present a convincing business case uh, about either raising rates, not raising rates. Here's why these projects are in the queue uh, for five years. You know, somebody that would add credibility to our team based on their experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gary has, Gary has, has uh, very much done that. As a matter of fact, the, uh, we have to pull him back a little bit. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and uh, you know, he's he'll uh, he's, he'll slow down a little bit. But we're fortunate <laughs> to have the uh, the team that we have. Well, and I he's think the only department. Go ahead. The only department head that I've ever had that I have to slow him down. Yeah, I think what um, I I love so much about the team that you have at the city, um, certainly um, throughout the entire city, but especially on the director level, is that there's no one that I perceive, at least from the outside, who is just going to work and doing their job every day. You have a team of people that are passionate about their subject area. And I know that might sound weird when someone says, well, you're passionate about sewage or you're passionate about, you know, utilities or roadway infrastructure or parks and rec or whatever it is. But from from yourself to, to T. Michael to the IT department to, um, you know, um, MJ and, and all the different areas of the city, these are people that are heavily involved in their industry groups that are looking for new and innovative ways to improve uh, the way that the city delivers uh, the product, if you will, to the customers, to the taxpayers. 
Um, and are constantly bringing in new and creative ideas. Um, and, you know, I think of HIP and the, the Smart City Advisory Committee. And every single time we have one of those meetings, um, HIP is presenting uh, ideas that he and his team, who are also, you know, kind of nerds on how we can uh, develop our community using data in a, in, a, in a smarter, better, more powerful way, um, are looking at ways that we can improve. And I think that speaks a lot to just the culture that has been created, that it's about generating ideas that make the lives of our citizens better. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> That's you my know, commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I appreciate it. Thank you. The, well, you know, HIP is a great example. The, uh, I'm going to talk about three people. Mm-hmm. The uh, HIP win, extremely smart. You know, he is a he is an excellent visionary. So, but if we told him, hey, look, you know, let's turn the vision down. Let's let's go down in the bunker for a little bit. Uh, let's just keep the technology system running. We'd lose a we'd lose a grand leader mm-hmm. because the uh, he's about he's about getting somebody on the team that knows how to keep the technology system running. He's all about a, he's all about developing a very very creative vision. And so he plays an important role in city government as part of uh, leading our Smart City Advisory Committee, as you mentioned. I think Smart City Advisory Committee, uh, that we have important advisory committees. Uh, I think that's going to be, uh, I think that's going to be a benchmark for us. Uh, there are going to be a, a lot of business people that, because of their backgrounds and their creativity and their intelligence, they're going to want to serve on the Smart City Advisory Committee. And this is going to be very, very impactful. Mm-hmm. Michael Carnabat, we talked about, we talk about a lot of being a data-driven decision-making uh, city. The basis, one of the basis of the one mill was having an annual resurfacing program where we would make decisions on street resurfacing uh, being data-driven. Mm-hmm. So we set about developing an inventory. Now we have all the roads inventoried. We, we have an understanding of what kind of pavement condition index they have. Uh, in other words, uh, we know what kind of investment it's going to take to keep that road uh, rated as a, a five or a six versus being a 10. Uh, we know where we have sidewalk gaps, where we don't have sidewalks at all, where we have sidewalks that are broken. So all of that inventory now is available. Uh, and so we make decisions based on the condition. So that's a great example of using data-driven information to make decisions about spending taxpayers' money wisely. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is Eric Lavery. Uh, Eric, um, you know, if I was, you know, going to be somewhere 10 years and I was, you know, instead of 67, maybe I was 57 or 47, <laughs> um, I'd probably, I'd take Eric in a heartbeat as an assistant city manager. Mm. Um, Eric. Uh, understands how the private sector thinks. The, uh, there hasn't been anything that we haven't asked Eric to do that he hasn't exceeded our expectations. Um, we're very fortunate to have Eric. He's a good leader, gives people room, and he understands the importance of pushing things out the door. He's producing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and and uh, he, um, I know he's so extremely busy, but he still takes the time to answer <laughs> answer the phone for the most random questions. But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. 
And similarly, um, in in the and I'm going to call it growth management, but it is uh, it has a new title now um, um, with community investment and economic development. Did I get anywhere close? <laughs> um, yeah, of course, instead of economic development, it's economic opportunity. There you go, economic opportunity. But um, you know, he's got a full full team now, which is really the the first time in in my tenure um, that there's been a full team in that department, um, and that. Uh, speaks to his leadership in identifying those needs between Merle, his predecessor, and Eric to be able to say, you know, we need someone dedicated to CRAs. We need someone to look at neighborhood development. We need to make sure that we're able to process applications and site plans um, and coordinate between all of the different departments under our umbrella um, more quickly for the end user, for that developer, for that taxpayer. Um, and so it really speaks to that. So, so I have time for one more question. And I think this is a question that um, could be of interest to people out there. You know, in this world we live in today, you know, politics and politicians uh, can tend to be a dirty word. And, and really on the local level, um, it is really the antithesis of that. It is such a positive thing for a citizen to say, I am willing to to step up and, and give up a lot of my personal time because I believe in this community and I wanna be a part of its future formation. Um, on the city side, organizationally, managing a city is an interesting dynamic as you know, you're the boss of the organization, if you will, but realistically, you have a board of five city commissioners who are really the boss of the city because they are the representatives of the people and the taxpayers. So, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I find that you're very skillful at that collaborative management of an elected body. So what do you think are the secrets of your success over your tenure, whether it be here in Winter Haven or lessons that you've learned along the way in being able to manage that relationship to have a very effective group of elected officials? That's a, that is a very, very good question. And the uh, different city managers and county managers are going to answer that. Uh, we'll, we all will probably answer it differently, differently, but I believe that there's one fundamental quality that you have to have. I think you have, you have to have excellent political instincts. Mm -hmm. uh, and those in instincts have to work in your behalf and not against you. Uh, and so, the uh, for example, uh, if you're if you're being bullied by a particular elected official, uh, you have to stand up to that bully. Mm -hmm. uh, and you either have to do it privately or you have to do it publicly. I think it depends on you know which setting that it occurs. Mm -hmm. uh, and and really, uh, I think the best, most effective way to address a bully uh, is you have to get keep the other four commissioners on your side, and you have to really work on developing a consensus. Uh, and so, the uh, you move gently, uh, and then uh, you keep people assembled, keep track of where they are and their views, uh, and then you you move forward with a. Uh, with a particular plan. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think standing up to the bully is important. Uh, and then when you have, right now, we have probably one of the best city commissions in the county mm -hmm. uh, because they're all pretty much in accord with the direction that they want to move the city. They also have a great buy-in to the, to the collaborative vision that exists among our community partners. And so they realize the value of the Chamber of Main Street of Winter Haven EDC. And so 
Uh, we have, um, for the for now, we have strong unanimity. Uh, and so it's up to the assistant city manager and myself uh, to keep that to keep that cohesive cohesiveness together. And I think it's also important not to burn bridges. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to get your way. The votes aren't always going to be the way you want them. But you can't. You've got to be a positive thinker. You can't. You can't be a sore loser. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and having our listeners get an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you and your history. And and most of all, thank you for your service to our community. It's um, been such a pleasure to work with you from the minute you got here and your enthusiasm and excitement for Winter Haven um, really shines through in, in everything that you do and the pride that you carry for your team. And so I really want to thank you for, for sharing a little a little sliver of that today with us. Okay, well, thank you, Katie. Uh, thank you. Have a great day. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and as a part of Advent Health's Pink Out Polk campaign, they are offering $30 screening mammograms now through October 31st for self-pay patients. Most of Advent Health's facilities now offer 3D mammogram technology for easy and convenient mammograms with flexible appointment options, extended hours, and multiple locations across the region. Most exams only take 30 minutes. For more information about qualification for screening mammograms, visit scheduleyourmammo.com. That's scheduleyourmammo.com. As community events begin again, we wanted to make you aware of a few that you'll want to mark on your calendar. This Saturday, October 24th, is Winter Haven's first ever Chick Day, presented by Man Lake Stromberg. Man Lake is a national supplier of beekeeping supplies, and they've joined forces with Stromberg, a national supplier of supplies and equipment for breeding, rearing, and the management of poultry and small animal. Chick Day is an event where numerous chicks and ducklings arrive at the facility to be picked up by their clients. You can pre-order or learn more at strombergschickens.com. That's S-T-R-O-M-B-E-R-G-S-C-H-I-C-K-E-N-S.com. November 5th is the Celebrity Lip Sync Battle, hosted by the Winter Haven Public Education Partnership and Cypress Junction Montessori. This fundraiser will be held outdoors at the old Channel Lake Stadium, and will feature performances from local quote-unquote celebrities, Allison Beeman, Alex Nickdell, Karen Winningham, Nick Plott, Steve Warner, and Weston Riddle. From November 25th through January 6th, the City of Winter Haven, in partnership with Main Street Winter Haven, presents Starlight Nights. For six weeks, downtown Winter Haven will be dazzling with lights as they ring in the holiday cheer and togetherness. Dine, shop, and enjoy a beautiful evening stroll with fun photo opportunities and surprises around every corner. You'll be able to explore the magic of the lights at your own comfort level 
whether you just drive through in your vehicle or walk around the heart of our city. Downtown shops will be open late, giving you the perfect opportunity to complete your holiday shopping and of course not miss the festive specials at the downtown restaurants and bars. Businesses will also participate in a window decorating contest, adding to the magic of the holidays. Dr. Paul Williams, a fellowship-trained and board-certified physician, provides a full spectrum of breast care services in Davenport, Florida. With advanced fellowship training in breast surgery and breast oncology from Emory University, he is experienced in providing quality care for all patients with breast disorders. From diagnosis to treatment, he offers modern management options. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Williams. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for having me. So, at what age should women start getting mammograms? That's a very good question. Um, in general, there are several national guidelines that we follow. And most of the guidelines tell us that women should start getting screening yearly mammograms at the age of 40. Now, that doesn't mean that before the age of 40, women should not get anything done. But for example, let's say, let's say there's a 35-year-old lady, 34 uh, year old lady that might have a breast problem, uh, she should get evaluated with an exam by a physician and she might require a mammogram at that time. But in general, we don't start yearly mammograms until the age of 40. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, I'm 37. So this, this is a topic I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. you know, obviously most women go to see their gynecologist every year. Um, and they do typically do, a you know, a very kind of surface level breast exam. Um, but, uh, do you recommend that women are checking themselves monthly or just kind of get to know their own bodies well enough to try to recognize, uh, if there is something out of the ordinary? That's, that's also a good question, and it, that's kind of actually two questions. So one is, what should women be doing in, their, in, in the 30-year-old age group, let's say between 30 and 40, uh, and should women be doing self-breast exams? So let me address the first question. Sure. Typically, at, a, at about the age of 30, women should have a yearly breast examination by a physician. Now, what I do, I normally do with my patients is I, I just ask them, I say, hey, you know, are you, are you getting a breast exam? And you would be surprised to find how many women go to their, whether it be family doctor, internal medicine doctor, or gynecologist. Mm -hmm. and, and for some reason, uh, some of these doctors actually don't do a breast examination as a routine mm -hmm. uh, procedure during the year. So I always encourage women to have a breast exam by a physician every year. And if you're not, you might bring that up with your doctor and say, hey, can you do a breast exam or can you refer me to someone who can do a breast exam? And so that's very important to mm -hmm. get a yearly breast exam starting at the age of 30. At the age of 40, as I mentioned earlier, women start mammograms and they get a yearly breast examination as well. And some, some ladies ask, you know, why would I need to do both? And that's because mammograms, although they're very, very accurate in diagnosing uh, small cancers, they're not 100% accurate. So what we want to do, if a lady ever does develop cancer, we want to try to diagnose that 
at its very earliest and smallest uh, size, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so you want to do that mammogram and get a get a physician to do a breast exam starting at the age of 40. Now, the second question was, should women be doing self-breast examination? I think that's kind of a loaded question. And some <laughs> years ago, we did routinely recommend that all women do self-breast exams. Um, but I don't tell patients that they should do that always. I do typically recommend breast exam, uh, self-breast exam at least probably two, maybe three times a year. I don't recommend women doing a breast examination on themselves every single month. Mm. Um, so, you know, let's say do one at the beginning of the year, uh, a self-breast exam, and then do a self-breast exam somewhere in the middle of, you know, during the mm-hmm. summertime. Um, because what we found through the through the years is if that women do breast examinations all the time, they end up finding finding this, finding that, and it leads to a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. uh, for some mm-hmm. ladies. And it also, a lot of times, really doesn't mean anything. They're not actually feeling anything dangerous. And so a couple of breast exams per year uh, on yourself in combination with the examination by your physician is what we recommend. Um, and so just to kind of put all that in a nutshell, at the age of 30, women should be getting a breast examination by a physician at least once a year. Mm-hmm. And starting at the age of 40, women get mammograms every year with a breast exam. And all women should at least be familiar with their breasts. Um, you know, for example, let's say you know that you have had a small, tiny lump in your right breast, and it's been there for nine years. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you know that it's never changed. It might have even been evaluated by a doctor many years ago and was found to be, you know, something benign, like a fibroadenoma or something. Mm-hmm. Be familiar with your breast, and let's say you know you have a little lump that's been there for many, many years. It's not changed. A doctor told you that it was normal. Um, and so, so that way, if you ever developed another lump or another problem, you'd say, hey, wait a minute, this is new. I think I need to get this checked out. So yes, definitely be familiar with your breast. Mm-hmm. And if anything comes up that is different, different is when you need to call that to the attention of your doctor. And that means redness of the skin. If the breast is starting to have discharge come from the nipple, whether it be you know red or brown or green, if you have a, a lump that's new for you, if there's a dimple or an ulcer, anything that is new, you should bring that to the attention of your doctor. And so that kind of goes into my next question, which what are some of the symptoms of someone who may have breast cancer? Generally, years ago, before mammograms uh, came about, before we had invented mammograms, um, most women in those days would at some point feel a lump in their breast, right? Mm-hmm. Now, these days that we are, we're doing so many mammograms across the United States and across the world, most women today who are, who are diagnosed with breast cancer have absolutely no symptoms at all. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'll have patients who say, hey, doc, I'm not going to get a mammogram because I don't have any symptoms, so I must not have breast cancer. Well, that's not true at all. Most women today who are diagnosed with breast cancer because of mammograms have no symptoms because the tumor is very, very small. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, and most of the time, breast cancer is absolutely silent. There are no symptoms at all. There's no nipple discharge. There's no, uh, the the nipple is not turning inward. There are no lumps. Mm -hmm. You know, at its very earliest, when it's very, very tiny, 
you may, you're not going to be able to feel that on a breast exam. Now, if you do have symptoms of, of breast cancer, and let's say uh, there is a cancer in there, sometimes women will feel a lump that is new for them. Sometimes there might be ulceration of the skin. Sometimes the nipple may go inward. Sometimes there might be abnormal discharge from one of the nipples, um, or you might have redness of the skin. So there, there are several different uh, symptoms that you might have that kind of give the idea of breast cancer. But again, I don't want ladies to think that if you don't have symptoms, you're fine, because that's definitely not true, because it's such a, such a silent disease, and we want to catch it on mammograms. We want to catch it when there are no symptoms, because in general, by the time a lady has symptoms, it has uh, progressed, you know, mm-hmm. or at least the tumor's bigger than it would have been most of the time had a mammogram been done. So what is a, a 3D mammogram and how is it different than other types of screening? Well, to make, uh, to make that clearer, because I know there's a lot of questions that have gone on about that. A lot of patients saying, hey, you know, I've had mammograms for years and all of a sudden there's a 3D thing. Should I do it? Well, the 2D mammogram is exactly that. It's two dimensions or or somewhat two pictures of the breast. It's it's a picture this way and a picture that way. That's the old 2D, two-dimensional mammogram. And those were very good. Those were, were very accurate. They did diagnose a lot of early stage breast cancer, but they weren't extremely accurate. And so what they have now like I have in my clinic and in many different areas across the United States are these mammogram machines that are actually 3D, three-dimensional mammograms. And really um, what that means in its simplest form is it's somewhat like a 2D mammogram is almost like picking up a book, reading the, reading the cover page and flipping the book over and reading the back, but not being able to flip the pages of the book. That's the old 2D mammogram. The 3D mammogram is something similar to picking up a book and start flipping through the pages. So the radiologist actually with a 3D mammogram is going to be able to look at the breast with multiple thin slices. And what the, the goal of that is to identify even smaller breast cancers and for, for it to be more accurate. And so 3D mammograms are what women should be getting. But I also understand a lot of the United States, you know, depending on where you live, you may not have access to an imaging center that has a 3D mammogram unit. And that does not mean stop doing mammograms. It means if, if all you can get access to is a 2D, the old-fashioned mammogram, definitely continue to do that. But yes, it's recommended to have 3D mammography like we have here in my clinic because it's more accurate and it has the ability to pick up cancer at an earlier, at a smaller, smaller size. Mm-hmm. So we talked about kind of the front end, you know, people in their 30s and people in their 40s. But is there an age when you should stop getting a mammogram? That's a great question. I have a lot of patients come in and they say, hey, doc, I've had a great life. I'm 85 years old. You know, I've never had cancer before. Can't I stop doing these <laughs> daggum mammograms, you know? And, and the conversation goes like this. If you are healthy enough to actually go to the doctor, you know, uh, you, you never know when, when your time is going to be up. You never know when the Lord has planned for you to go to heaven or, you know, it, it, you don't know when that's going to be. So if you're in your mid-80s and you're healthy and you're able to get to the doctor, we recommend that you do continue to do mammograms even at that age. And the reason why is 
a lot of women think that because they're getting older, that their risk of breast cancer gets lower, but that's not true at all. Mm. In fact, the older a woman gets, the higher her risk for breast cancer is. So there's really two large risk factors for breast cancer. Number one, the one of the biggest risk factors for, for breast cancer is being a female. I know that that's surprising, but, mm-hmm. but I'll get some ladies that say, doctor, I don't have any risks. I don't have any family history of breast cancer. I don't have any symptoms. Uh, so I don't, I'm not at risk at all. Well, that's not true because one of the largest risk factors is actually being a female. Mm-hmm. The second largest risk factor is aging. So the older a lady gets, the higher her likelihood is of getting breast cancer. And so we, if you're, if you're healthy enough to get to the doctor, then I would recommend getting your mammograms. Now, then you'll say, so, so what is the final, uh, when, when should I really stop? If you're just unable to get to the doctor uh, because of your age and, and other health issues that you have, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if for some reason a doctor uh, talked to you and, and thinks that maybe you won't be alive in five or six years because you've got, you know, whatever, you know, significant heart failure or significant kidney failure or one of these, if, if a physician doesn't think that your lifespan is going to be in general, longer than five or six years, you probably can stop doing mammograms. Mm. Um, but, but if you're healthy enough to get to the doctor, we want to do that because we don't want you to die of breast cancer. And the other thing about being diagnosed of breast cancer at an earlier stage is not only are you going to have a, most likely you're going to have a higher probability of surviving the disease, but also the treatment. As breast cancer progresses, if there's a delay and you don't get it diagnosed until it's advanced, advanced, a lot of women will have to go through a lot more treatment than if you would have gotten it diagnosed at an earlier stage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're in your 80s, the last thing you want is very advanced, well, at any age, but especially when you're getting up into your mid-70s and 80s, you don't want to be diagnosed with a cancer at an advanced stage because it leads to a heck of a lot more treatment, mm-hmm. more complicated treatments. And uh, we want to catch it at an earliest, earliest stage so that it's treatable, so that, that you're going to increase your chance of surviving of it and, that it, and that you don't have to go through so many different treatments for it. Mm-hmm. So um, you obviously um, are a subject matter expert in this area, and um, you have an office in the Davenport area with Advent Health. What services are available at your office? I do. I am uh, the I'm a board certified general surgeon and a breast specialist or breast surgical oncologist, mm-hmm. and I specialize in not only diseases of the breast but benign disease as well. I'll even see patients who have breast pain. And we also have patients who are high risk. Uh, let's say they have a very strong family history of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much this is, this is the place to go with regard to any kind of breast cancer needs, whether it be malignant cancers or benign disease or simply just screening. I have a lot of patients who come to me because they want to see a specialist, not because they have breast problems, but because they want to have their mammograms done and they want to have a breast specialist take care of their breast health. Uh, but here in my clinic, we have 3D mammography. Uh, we have a fantastic imaging facility here. We have capabilities for biopsies if necessary. We also have ultrasound, um, in-office procedures, biopsies are available here in the office. We have high-risk clinic 
meaning we take care of high-risk individuals who, who may have a strong family history of breast cancer or who have been diagnosed in the past with a high-risk breast lesion. Um, and so we, we've also had a big transition through the coronavirus pandemic to where we have made big strides to make sure that our patients, every single patient, is as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, we have contactless check-in, which means the patients are actually able to check in from their car. Uh, once they get into the waiting room, once they're called in, uh, everyone is masked. The surfaces are wiped down between patients. Um, our our uh, waiting room has been limited really to, to even beyond six feet. Uh, patients are actually farther than that. And the vast majority of time, we don't have patients in the waiting room because they're allowed to sit in their car with that nice cold air condition going <laughs> in, in the hot state of Florida. So everything has really changed, but we are able to get ladies in very safely for breast exams, uh, mammograms, and even biopsies if they need it. Also, we offer masks if women for some reason have forgotten their masks, mm -hmm. which most of, and, and everyone has to be masked up, including the office staff and the patients. Um, so, so we've done a lot with regard to trying to keep everybody safe and promoting breast health through this, uh, pandemic. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, there is so much going on in the world <laughs> right now. Um, but October is obviously Breast Cancer Awareness Month and Advent Health has a campaign going on right now, um, called Pink Out, which is obviously across the Advent Health, uh, family of hospitals and, and everything. But um, in, in Florida, it makes a nice uh, alliteration in Polk County for Pink Out Polk. Um, so Advent Health is certainly encouraging everyone to uh, schedule their mammogram if you have not. And of course, if you've listened to this interview and you are over 40, you are going to schedule your, your mammogram. So um, you they've, they've made it easy. Uh, the website address is scheduleyourmammo.com. And of course, you can learn more about uh, Dr. Williams at AdventHealth.com. So Dr. Williams, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come onto the podcast today. And really, well, I, I I've learned a lot. <laughs> I I'm appreciate glad it. You have. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Very good. Well, thank you so much again. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. This podcast would not be possible without our Chamber Investor Businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Meeks Real Estate. Winter Haven was rated by Realtor.com as our number one hottest real estate market. Do you need help navigating your home search? Meeks Real Estate LLC is owned and operated by broker Realtor, Carla Meeks. Carla has over 14 years of experience in residential and commercial real estate, as well as her GRI designation. Her office is located at 1510 North Broadway Avenue in Bartow but Carla is actively involved in all of Polk County. Call or text Carla at any time. She would love to help you buy, sell, build, and invest in Central Florida. 863-604-9287 or visit carlamakesrealtor.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-E-E-K-S realtor.com.
Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We'd like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Mike Kerr, City Manager for the City of Winter Haven, and Dr. Paul Williams with Advent Health. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home.